Hello. What's good? <clears throat> oh my god, what the fuck was that? Um, anywho, <laughs> uh, this is episode 8, right? Yes, episode 8 of the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast. Hope everyone's doing good. Hope everyone had a good week. Hope everyone is enjoying their Friday whenever or wherever they're listening to this too. Um, it's Friday morning for me. As of usual, I start recording usually at 11 because I don't get out of bed until like 10. <laughs> and then I shower and then I go get like coffee and maybe something to eat. So let's hop into it. Um, sorry if my voice sounds a little lower. It's a uh, family's home and they're like sleep. So I'm trying not to be like too drastically loud, but we should be good. Downstairs should be good. Should be good. Um, but today we're going to jump right back into uh, our Yu Yu Hakusho season one analysis. Last week we did a uh, like half of it. It, t- it was taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. I thought I was going to be able to get all of season one done in one episode. Clearly I could not. So I'm thinking we're probably going to split each season into two parts because we're just going to need the time. If this took two parts to do season one, then like the dark tournament, it's definitely going to take two parts because that's long and there's a lot to cover. But, uh, yeah, today, last week we did, um, I did like a full analysis of the first episode and how I believe it's just starting off, uh, laying the roots of the overall tone of the show, which is character searching for meaning in a way. And it kind of just leads them into these battles. And then we went over the ordeal to get Yusuke's life back. Um, him returning real quick, and we went over the three monsters arc. So today we're going to go over the Genkai tournament arc and how we're introduced to Genkai and what to expect from her on initial uh, introduction. And we're also going to get some growth from Yusuke and Kuwabara. We've already gotten a good bit of Yusuke's character in because he is the main character. But we get to know a little bit more about Kuwabara too. Then we move into the Four Saint Beast arc which I think has an overall flow of uh, getting to know each member of the team, like this unlikely team coming together, getting to know each member, and also the beginning of uh, seeing what Yusuke has issues with personally, what he needs to get over, and his first steps to overcoming those. And then finally, we're going to do the Tarukane Stronghold arc, which I think is pretty straightforward. It lays um, groundwork between Kuwabara's like, love interest for the rest of the series, but mainly it serves as kind of like a transitional arc from like this early spirit detective sagas kind of thing into the dark tournament because we meet the Tagoro brothers. So it serves as a very powerful transition arc because we get to meet that villain known as Tagoro as we lead into the dark tournament. So that one shouldn't take as long to explain. But uh, let's start off with the Genkai tournament. So the basic layout of it is... Uh, after Yusuke defeated Goki, Kurama, and Hiei and got the three items back for Koenma, even though Koenma got caught and ended up getting 100 spankings from King Yama, um, <laughs> he sent on another case to go to Old Lady Genkai's house. She lives in the middle of the forest in the wilderness in this big old bunker secluded place. Genkai is a famous, a world famous and masterfully powerful psychic with a technique called the spirit wave that people uh really want to learn and cut badly and it seems you know in genkai's old age she wants to find a successor to pass her technique down down to so she's holding uh 
pretty much an open invitation for fighters all over to come to her house and she will see who she wants to be her successor. Now, the reason why Yusuke is there is not because he needs training, per se. Well, he does, but that's not why they sent him out. It's, um, there's information that Spirit World has that there's a demon lurking among these fighters. And the demon is a very specific person known as Rando. Rando is a demon who specifically slays psychics and steals their techniques. And so far in Rando's spree of murdering and technique stealing, he has over 99 techniques. And he's looking to get Genkai's spirit wave to make it 100. So not only would that be terrifying for a demon to have 100 techniques from different powerful psychics from all throughout history, but the spirit wave is said to be one of the most powerful psychic techniques ever created. So he would probably be a force to be reckoned with, and it would cause a lot of issues. So Yusuke is to infiltrate Genkai's invitation, find the demon, and stop him. And in order to do that, it looks like he might have to become Genkai's student. Now, as I said, Yusuke gives no fucks about any of this. He's not a very disciplined person. He likes to fight, but he doesn't like authority. So he doesn't like to be trained or told to do something. So Botan has to sweeten the deal since uh, a long vacation's coming up and he doesn't want to spend his time at an old lady's house. So Botan's like, well, I mean, if you do the case and and figure it out, I'll give you these tickets to this wrestling uh, event coming up. Big, uh, big wrestling arena. I forget what it's called, but it's at like this Tokyo Dome place. So that's how Yusuke ends up getting into it. So I think this is a cool way to introduce it because as a whole, when you watch the Genkai tournament, you see Yusuke's um, dedication to his job kind of shift. Like, it goes from something like, this feels like a chore, to he's like, I have to do this. Not because of the tickets to Tokyo Dome. It's like throughout the course of this arc, which is only, it's only a good couple episodes. Um, he, he has a lot of growth due to the things that happen. And he's actually shows one of these rare moments where he's taking his job seriously, at least early in the series. And uh, so that's why Yusuke's on his way up. And he happens to run into the other main character of this arc, Kuabara. Now, the reason why Kuabara is there is because he's heard about Genkai and her psychic abilities. Now, Kuabara has a heightened uh, sixth sense. He has an incredible natural psychic awareness, but he has not trained to use it at all. And I think it fits in with his character and how we're going to see him develop from here on. And I'll get into that in a minute. But um, the reason why he's here is because he wants Genkai to pretty much help him turn his psychic awareness off. He does not want to deal with it anymore. He doesn't like being bothered by spirits. And after the whole ordeal to get Yusuke's life back, he was getting bothered by a lot of spiritual stuff. So it's freaking him out. He's very uncomfortable with it. He doesn't want to deal with it. And like I said, I think this fits into Kuobara's personality and his character, how he acts, why he acts, and his overall development from the series onward in relation to his abilities. So they're both there. A bunch of other fighters are there. Fun facts. Um, if you look into the crowd in the background, there's some characters that look like uh, famous Street Fighters. I think, like, you can see Ryu. I think you can see Zangief there and Guile. And it's just, like, it's not actually them, but it's just kind of, like, cool little Easter egg. Like, fighters all around the world have come to 
see Genkai. She's that important that even like these Street Fighter esque characters are there. So I always thought that was neat. Tagashi's a cool dude like that. He does little nods. He does nods to Yu Hakusho and Hunter Hunter, I believe, too. But um Anywho, we're finally introduced to Genkai. Genkai um is exactly what they said she was, an old lady. <laughs> she's she's a little old lady. I don't believe they say how old she is, but she old. She I think she's like in her seventies at this point. And she has like this scowl on her face. She's really short. She's probably like shorter than Hiei, honestly, and Hiei's pretty short too. <laughs> and she doesn't look intimidating at all. But you know, all the fighters out there are just like, oh, it's Genkai, oh. And Kuwabara's kind of, like, interested just because he's recently heard about her and her psychic abilities. Yusuke does not care at all because Yusuke has never heard of her prior to this case. He has never heard of what the spirit wave technique is. He's just trying to get his job done and go. So he's the only one kind of not impressed. And so the first test is administered, which seems to be a random test of drawing lots. Now, Genkai's tournament is weird. This whole arc is weird because... A lot of the earlier stuff before we get to the actual final point seems to be a lot of a mundane task, like, or not mundane tasks, just random things. Like the first round, they're drawing lots. So it seems like people who move on to the next round are being picked at random. I believe like if you open your lot and it's just a blank white piece of paper, go home. But if the lot turns, I think it was like red or blue, you move on to the next round. So everyone was like, dude, are you serious? So... (laughs) When he, I'm not he, uh, when Yusuke and Kuwabara, like, just like, shoot, maybe we don't want to do this. And Yusuke, because Kuwabara was having second thoughts, and Yusuke was like, man, I just hope I get a blank so at least Botan can't get mad at me that I left, like, because he had to leave. What the fighters don't know is the litmus paper uh, changes color in response to someone's spirit energy. So if your spirit energy is high enough, the paper will change color by itself. All the lots start off blank. So if you're if you have enough spirit energy or spirit awareness or whatever, if you if you have enough of that power or know enough of it, the paper will change color and you will move on. So people with blank papers are not ready for this training. And that's actually the 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 secret of the first test. And I don't think she ever actually told them that's what it was. So, of course, Yusuke and Kuwabara make it on due to Yusuke being hyper-spiritually aware. Well, not spiritually aware, but being more attuned to spirit energy since he became a spirit detective. And Kuwabara made it on due to his natural spiritual awareness. So they're both not stoked about it. Um, and a bunch of other people get move on, but a lot of people end up getting sent home. And here's when uh, Yusuke first is like, okay, Genkai's a threat. I can see why Rando wants her technique. Because these two giant dudes are pissed they did not make it on. And this is when we first get a taste of Genkai's like character and personality. I fucking love Genkai. She's just this gratchety old lady. Oh man, she she talks the most shit. People are like, he just talks that shit. I'm like, he is a quiet dude. He says stuff when necessary. Genkai just talks that mess. Uh, these dudes are like, we're the strongest people in our village up in the mountains. How can we not move on and get your training? And Genkai's just like, yo, I mean, if your paper didn't change color, then you're not ready for this. You obviously is weak. And these dudes rush Genkai, and Genkai like flexes with her eyes essentially and a blast of spiritual energy blows these niggas back and knocks them out 
and everyone is like shook because she didn't even move to do it. She just kind of stood there and was like, yeah, and they went flying. So everyone's like, oh, and Genkai's like, all right, come on. We going on to the next round. Like she fucking immediately ignores these dudes as soon as they're laid out. And she's like, we got to, we got stuff to do. So <laughs> there they move on and Yusuke's like, okay. So that's why Rando wants the spirit wave technique. It has multiple uses. As we see throughout the series, the spirit wave technique is, has a lot of stuff to it. Um, and Yusuke tries to use another one of his spirit detective items, the demon compass. It tracks down demon energy, and so, like, the compass will lead in a direction of strong demon energy so he can follow it. The compass is going out of control because the energy is higher than what it can handle, but that just confirms to Yusuke that Rando is indeed there somewhere amongst the crowd disguised as a human. So the second round is where we start seeing uh, the potential of Yusuke and Kuwabara and how Genkai sees the potential of Yusuke and Kuwabara. The next round is the remaining people are playing arcade games. So at first it just looks like, yo, what the fuck? We're playing arcade games? It's like a punching machine, uh, a rock, paper, scissors machine, and a karaoke machine they're playing. And Genkai's like, don't touch the other games. Those are my personal games. This is just another thing I love about Genkai. She's just this grouchy old woman that lives in the forest in a house all by herself, does not want to be bothered, and loves playing video games. And, like, Genkai is is me. Like, <laughs> I fucking love her. But um, at first, everyone's kind of like, yo, really? What are arcade games going to do? And uh, Genkai explains that each of these arcade games are made for a specific kind of, like, test for aspects of... Uh, spirit energy awareness and training and whatnot. Like, the punching machine tests your spiritual strength, not just your physical strength. The Jonkin machine, which is uh, the rock, paper, scissors machine, tests your spiritual awareness. And the karaoke machine uh, tests your... It tests your spiritual, like, growth or adjustment. It tests to see if your spirit energy is flexible enough to get used to change and things of that nature. So each person... Uh, to move on, they have to pass two out of three of the machines. And so the game is on. So I believe when it happens, uh, people are trying out the punching machine. Dudes are sucking because they don't understand they need spirit energy strength as well as their own strength. Kuabara gives it a smack. He scores a 129. The dude before him scored like a 50. So, <laughs> And then Yusuke hits it and he gets a 165, of course, because his spiritual strength is incredible. And Genkai's like, all right, I see you out here. Then Kuabara gets competitive and they're like, let's see you play rock, paper, scissors. Yusuke does abysmal on it and I think completely fails that one. And then Kuabara does it and gets a perfect score due to spiritual awareness. Yeah, Kuwabara, I think I think they do a rock, paper, scissors thing again, and Kuwabara, like, easily wins because, because of his spiritual awareness. It's kind of cheating. So Genkai then notices that. Then some other dude scores, like, a 189 on the, the punching machine. Uh, there's, like, some ninja dude who doing, like, incredibly well on the karaoke machine, even though he's singing awfully. So then uh, a good chunk of people make it on to the next round. We don't see Yusuke and Kuwabara play the karaoke machine. But I'm I'm a, I have to assume Yusuke had to have passed it because I'm pretty sure he failed the Jonkin machine. I think he got a failing grade, and you have to pass at least two. I know he passed the punching machine, 
And I'm pretty sure Kuwabara probably passed all three. Because 129, I mean, Yusuke scored like 40 points higher, but I think 129 was enough for him to move on, honestly. So I don't know if he passed the karaoke machine or not, because they never showed them doing it. But Yusuke had to have, because he failed the Junkin. I have to I have to go back and look, but I'm, I'm like almost a... Maybe they don't show it in the anime, but in the manga it shows Yusuke not doing hot at that at all. <laughs> so they move on to the third round. And the third round is the remaining people have to run through a forest uh, and get to the other side within a certain amount of time. The thing about the forest is it houses all kinds of old traps, uh, old demons are inside, other monsters and creatures. So you have to use your spiritual awareness to navigate around the dangers through the forest. So it begins... Uh, these two, the dude that did the 180 something at the punching machine and the dude that did incredibly at the karaoke machine sprint through excitedly. They're just like, yeah, I'm so hyped to do this. Uh, Kuwabara's like, I'm going to try my best to avoid all this bullshit. And which he does because of his spiritual awareness. And Yusuke's like, this is stupid, spiritual awareness, whatever. Everybody knows the fastest way through a forest is to cut straight through it. <laughs> so he does that because Yusuke's spiritual awareness is abysmal. <laughs> Which just shows the contrast between Yusuke and Kuwabara. Like, it's funny because Yusuke, I think, has better use of spirit energy than Kuwabara. And he's physically stronger, but that he lacks the spiritual awareness. And although Kuwabara likes to use brute force to solve, try to solve a lot of his problems, he needs to focus more on utilizing his high spiritual awareness. So they kind of have those issues going on with their characters. But, anywho, as Yusuke's trying to cut straight through the forest in a line, Kuwabara ends up being the first one to navigate out of the forest due to him avoiding every single danger in it because of his psychic ability. So Kuwabara doesn't run into a single threat as he walks through the forest, which is incredibly, like, Genkai's like, yo, this nigga came out first. Then, uh, Karate Dude that did the punching machine and Ninja Guy at the karaoke machine then appear. They're kind of shocked that Kuwabara beat them there. More people start coming. And then, uh, we go back to Yusuke, who's in the middle of the forest, and he gets attacked by this man-bat thing. I forget what it calls itself, because it refers to itself in the third person. But it's, like, gliding around through the sky at great speeds, like, kind of scratching across Yusuke. Yusuke's kind of just only defending himself. The bat's talking all this mess. It's like, ah, human, you can't beat me. And then Yusuke, through his same logic of, like, well, everyone knows the best way through a forest is cutting straight through, which is what got him into this mess, uses that same logic and is like, yo, is the only trick you have gliding around real fast? So Yusuke took all that time of watching the bat glide around back and forth just to figure out its pattern, grabs it, and beats the living shit out of it. So he beats the bat and makes it out of the forest, but he makes it out just after the time is up. So Kuwabara's like, well, can, can he just, he's here, come on, like, and Genkai, right before Yusuke showed up, Genkai was saying she's not making any exceptions. Once the time is up, the time is up. And he's like, sorry, I ran into, like, a little man-bad thing in there, so I, you know, I had to teach him a lesson. And Genkai is shocked because that is the most powerful demon in the forest. So Genkai's like, you didn't cut through the forest straight through, did you? <laughs> and he's like, yep. 
So she's like, yo, there's something up with this kid. Like, he's a lot stronger than he acts, even though he's, like, not disciplined at all. So Genkai does indeed make an exception. And Yusuke is able to advance to the next round. And so the final round of the Genkai tournament is essentially an actual tournament. So there's eight competitors left. These are the top eight people. Um, and so they fight in a tournament bracket style. So they draw their little lots and the matches are paired up. Uh, they're also fighting in a room that is completely pitch black. Only like the entrance is barely lit by some torches. And then the the place where they fight is further in the room. It's completely dark. So you have to rely on your spiritual abilities to be able to find your opponent's spirit energy, track them down, and fight. So once again, Yusuke is in a bad situation, and once again, Kuwabara actually has somewhat of an advantage. You think so, actually. Um, so the first match is the ninja guy versus another dude who's an apparently, apparently an assassin. So the assassin's like, do you mind if we kill people because... You know, in my line of work, I can't go all out unless I kill somebody. And Genkai then uh, gives us another hint at her character, which relates to her past once we get to the Dark Tournament arc. Um, Genkai states, she doesn't give a fuck what you guys do, what she, what they do for a living, uh, if they're good or evil. She's just looking for a successor. Who's ever best at this tournament is going to be her successor regardless. So now the pressure is mounting on Yusuke, because he needs to find who this demon is. <laughs> because if that demon wins, Genkai is not going to have any objections of teaching it the spirit wave. So there's six possible suspects, because it's definitely not Yusuke and it's definitely not Kuwabara. So now they're looking out for him. Uh, also, Botan shows up to kind of like tip Yusuke in a few details. Uh, Kuwabara sees Botan, kind of instantly gets a crush on her. And Yusuke explains to Kuwabara the situation of the case. But anyway, back to the mission, back to the fight, the first round, Ninja Dude versus the Assassin. Um, they're fighting, and the Ninja is like, uh, he he's a bodyguard and the the contract killer Assassin dude. So they're fighting, and you can only hear them clashing attacks. They can't see anything, and Yusuke's like, yo, this sucks, we can't even see the fight. But Kuwabara can, like, sense them out faintly, and he's like, the assassin's pushing back the bodyguard. And so we go to the fight, and yes, the bodyguard is on the defensive, and it looks like the assassin's moving in for the kill. Bodyguard's back to the wall. He, bodyguard, raises his hand, and a mass of spirit energy blasts from his palm and eviscerates this fucking assassin. Like, there's nothing left of him. He's erased. He's gone. And the assassin comes out, and he's like, damn, I didn't want to have to use that technique so early, but oh well. So everyone's kind of like, yo, what this nigga just do? <laughs> Yusuke's like, it's like my spirit gun, but better, essentially. Like, instead of him, like, shooting a blast of energy from his fingertip, the ninja shot it from his entire hand. So it was like a massive blast rather than a beam. So Yusuke's kind of worried about that. But I believe... His fight is next, or his fight is last. I don't remember. Well, we'll just make his fight last. Um, it is. It is last, because he has back-to-back -back fights. It is last. Uh, the second match is this little dude, Shorin, versus this fat dude. I forget his name, because this fight is not important. This fight lasts all of 10 seconds. Uh, you hear them go back and forth. You hear the fat dude scream out in pain, and Shorin walks out a little scathed. 
Uh, but the victor. So we don't know what happened to that fat dude. We never knew anything about him, and he is dead. So, so moving on, we go into the third match, which is Kuwabara versus, I think the dude's name was Murasaki or something like that. And Murasaki is a swordsman who's dedicated his life to slaying demons. So the match starts. Kuwabara's getting really cocky. And this is where Kuwabara's, like, roots of character start to, like, really, like, manifest themselves. I feel like with Kuwabara, Kuwabara, for one reason or another, is looking to be the strongest and be a man because that's just how he feels life should be, and that's how he feels like he's going to earn respect, is by being the big tough dude. But I feel like by going that route, he's looking for meaning in the wrong place, if that makes sense. He's trying to be a brute. He's trying to be like, I'm going to beat through everything with my fist just physical raw strength and he gets this cocky attitude and that's what gets him beat up in a lot of fights and it's funny because a lot of the fights he does end up winning or having an advantage in are the fights where he actually utilizes his power his uh psychic awareness and his ability to manipulate energy which we see in a minute because Genkai does state that his spiritual awareness is so naturally high that if he could manifest it into a weapon, it'd be game fucking over for a lot of enemies. So Kuwabara starts to fight with this Murasaki guy, and he's like, I can actually see you in, in the dark. And the Murasaki guy's like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter if you can see me if you can't actually hit me. So he proceeds to beat the shit out of Kuwabara for most of this fight. The dude apparently is using a wooden sword, but it was carved from the wood of a sacred tree and blessed in some holy water from a like a sacred stream or whatnot. So it's the perfect weapon for slaying demons, at least lower level demons. And he is just pummeling Kuabara with this blessed enchanted sword. And Kuabara is just taking a beating. The dude's too fast, too strong, actually trained. Kuabara has no formal martial arts training. And he's just getting pummeled because he can't do anything about it. So the dude goes in for the finishing blow, which is an, a serial sword strike. I forget what he calls it, but it doesn't matter because this is the last time I'll ever see this dude. Um, and Kuwabara f- uh, falls over but still doesn't submit defeat, uh, admit defeat. And he, a piece of the wooden sword actually breaks off upon striking Kuwabara, which shocks the swordsman. Because he's like, yo, this sword was heavily blessed. Even though it's made of wood, it should be a lot more durable than, like, some normal sword. So he's actually shocked by how durable Kuwabara's body is. Which also is a big thing that people talk about. Kuwabara's ability to take a beating. Due to the fact that he takes a lot of beatings. And this is the first time we see Kuwabara's uh, spiritual awareness actually get him a win in a fight. And I think... What's cool about his spiritual awareness is, even though he's not willing to accept it early in the series, but as the series goes along, he utilizes it more and more, which ends up helping him in the long run, surprisingly. Um, uh, it'll act on its own. It's so naturally aware that in in its defense, Kuwabara picks up the piece of the broken wooden sword to defend himself. Swordsman once again goes in for the finishing strike. Kuwabara's spiritual awareness naturally acts on its own, manifests Kuwabara's spirit energy and shapes it around the broken sword piece and forms into a sword. So this is how Kuwabara gets his spirit sword. Kuwabara's power is not to create a sword made of energy. Kuwabara's power is high psychic awareness and energy manipulation. 
So Kuwabara could probably shape his spirit energy into anything. The reason why the base form is just a sword is due to this fight and its circumstances. So Kuwabara is able to block the swordsman's strike, counter him, and give a decisive blow. The spirit sword being powerful enough to one-shot this dude. So Kuwabara takes the W. So the last match of the, the first round of this tournament is Yusuke versus the dude who got the 180-something at the punching machine, Kibano. Yusuke's, you know, cocky as usual, talking his mess, and Genkai throws his her cigarette at him. Yusuke's like, yo, what the fuck? Keep in mind that cigarette's going to play a factor in this fight. Uh, a lot of early fights Yusuke has seem to be one due to luck. <laughs> or outside circumstances. So when Yusuke fights Kibano, uh, <laughs> he's pretty confident about it because he's like, even though Kibano has more physical strength, he's just as blind as Yusuke is in terms of spiritual awareness because his shit was, I think, lower than Yusuke's spiritual awareness. But Kibano has a little cheat that he's utilizing. He's constructed a helmet that he wears that like stimulates, that turns off his other senses, but enhances his spiritual awareness. So he's able to see Yusuke perfectly in the dark. And due to that, he's able to then use his martial arts skills to beat up Yusuke. He shows abilities of, like, you know, karate, other martial arts, judo, and he has an ability to manifest spirit energy to a single point in his body, like his arm, increasing its size and strength. So he, like, clotheslines Yusuke at one point with his huge-ass arm, and it looks like Yusuke is about to get dropped. Yusuke's trying to find a strategy around this. He waits for Kibano and listens for his footsteps. It is able to counter a move and grab Kibano's arm and strike and try to get a little, a few strikes in. But since it's so dark and, and Kibano is wearing this helmet, Yusuke can't land a decisive blow with his fist because he cannot see. So, excuse me. Uh, he can't land a strike. He tries to grab Kibano's arm and, like, break it, but Kibano, like I said, is uh, skilled in judo, so he's able to counter that and toss Yusuke. So it looks like Yusuke is not going to be able to find a ray around this guy, and the only way to try to beat him is to use his spirit gun. Now, the problem with this is he can't see. So if he misses his one shot, he can only use one a day still, he's pretty much screwed. So <laughs> he's going to have to figure out a way around this. Um, at the rate this is going, I might even have to do Tarukane Stronghold along with the Dark Tournament arc next month. We'll see how this goes. Um, but as Kibano goes in for the finishing blow, we see Yusuke actually use his cockiness, clever strategy, street fighting skills, and ideals as a pickpocket. Like I said, Yusuke is naturally talented, but that's what makes Yusuke a little cocky and not want to listen to authority. He likes to solve things his own way. This does get him the victory, though. That lit cigarette Genkai threw was near him in the, the battlefield, so he picks it up, and when he went to grab Kibano's arm and Kibano was throwing him, he managed to slip it in Kibano's belt loop, or like, uh, you know, the karate belt waistband thing. He manages to slip it in there, so when Kibano is rushing him, he sees Kibano coming due to the light from the cigarette and fires the spirit gun directly at Kibano's helmet, shattering the helmet and knocking Kibano clean out, and Yusuke is the winner. So now we have the semifinals. There's Yusuke, Kuwabara, the ninja, and the little monk, Shuren. So, Rando has to be one of the two. 
He has to be the ninja with the blast palm energy or the little monk, Shuren. So, we move on to a different arena. It's an old little swamp place. Kuobar is seeing weird spirits of the dead. Apparently a lot of battles were fought there and the spirits still haunt the swamp, as Genkai explains. And it's also a good place to recover spirit energy. So, Yusuke can feel some of his energy returning, but not enough to fire a spirit gun quite yet. And he's in the first match of the semifinals after just beating Kabano. So now Yusuke is in trouble. This he's fighting the he's fighting the ninja who's superior in martial arts and has a lot more strength in reserves. Like he can fire that blast of energy and still have strength to spare, rather than Yusuke firing a spirit gun and being drained. So the match goes on and it's pretty one sided. Uh, Yusuke's taken a beating. But he manages to, you know, through his clever tricks, try to find a way around the ninja and strike him. Ninja barely dodges, but the force of the punch does scar his cheek. And he's like, yo, if that punch had actually hit me, I probably would have been done for. So now he acknowledges Yusuke as a threat and wants to keep a distance from him. So Ninja Boy pulls out some shurikens. (laughs) So the shurikens aren't normal, because Yusuke easily dodges them, but they come back around. So Yusuke's like, oh, so they're like boomerang shurikens. And Ninja Dude's like, not quite. They're more like they can trace a person's spirit energy, and so they'll follow Yusuke until they hit the target. So now Yusuke is running from these things, trying not to get hit, and he gets the clever plan of running up in front of a tree and jumping out of the way at the last minute. One of the shurikens, or one or two of them, stick into the tree, But as Yusuke jumps out of the way, they suddenly explode and he's within the radius of the blast and he gets knocked over and takes some damage. So there's gunpowder in the tips of the shuriken. So now Yusuke has to worry about getting in close and landing a decisive blow due to the dude's superior martial arts skills. Also, he has to worry about this energy blast he can shoot from his hands. And he also has to worry about avoiding shurikens that can explode on impact and will follow him for days on end. So, it seems like a hopeless situation for Yusuke. So, Yusuke honestly doesn't think he can get out of it. So, he's going to try to perform a suicide move, running straight towards the ninja with the shurikens to blow them both up. And he's like, I'm leaving everything in your hands, Kuwabara. You have to figure it out now. And Yusuke is deadass serious. Yusuke is not one to lie about stuff like that. When he's saying things like that, he's serious. He's a very straightforward dude. So here's one of those clear examples of Yusuke winning a fight through luck. As he rushes towards the ninja, the ninja's like, dude, if you try to come near me, I'll just blast you away. So he starts charging up his energy. And as Yusuke is running, he suddenly vanishes, and Ninja's super confused. The shuriken are heading straight towards him. He's shocked. He tries to fire his blast. He can't in time. The shuriken explode in front of him, and he loses to his own attack. So everyone's kind of like, where the fuck did Yusuke go? And Yusuke actually slipped and fell into one of the swamp pole things, and they pull him up. And because of that, he ends up winning the fight when he was attempting to suicide both <laughs> both of them. So, it's luck, but it's a W. And that's 
that's kind of Yusuke's early thing, like, just winning fights through, like, clever little tricks he's picked up growing up as a kid, being, like, a, like a street fighter, essentially, and, uh, luck. <laughs> so we move on to the second semifinal match, which is Kuwabara versus Shirin. So like I said, Kuwabara is the type of person to not really rely on his spiritual awareness, but more rely on, like, I, Kuwabara isn't, like, a dumb person. He acts stupid because he thinks too straightforward. He's not, like, a clever dude thinking straightforward like Yusuke. Instead of just using his head, thinking of how he can use his ability, he's like, I'm just going to hit these dudes and hope it lands. And this is, and Kuwabara is also a little cocky at this point due to him winning his last fight. So he's fighting this little dude, Shuren, and after Yusuke beat the ninja dude, he's like, there's no way that dude would just sit ex- accept a W or a, an L like that. So Rando has to be Shuren. So you, Kuwabara and Shuren start fighting. Kuwabara's pummeling this kid in hand-to-hand combat, even though is a straight brawler in a fight. And Shuren is a monk martial artist, apparently. Uh, Kuwabara is able to evade and block all his blows and knock the dude around a bit. So then he starts using... Uh, this technique called Circles of Inferno, in which he essentially just throws fireballs. Now, Kuwabara pulls out his spirit sword and hits them back like they were baseballs. So, Kuwabara's really feeling himself at this point. He's like, I got this match in the bag, this and that. He's bragging, and this is where Kuwabara gets punished. So, <laughs> uh, Shuren does a move, essentially, where he casts an incantation. And this incantation is put on Kuwabara, and Kuwabara shrinks down to, like, the size of, like, an insect. And Shirin's personality starts shifting. He's kind of demented. He's into, like, torturing Kuwabara, so he picks him up and starts squeezing him. And Kuwabara's screaming out in pain, begging for it to stop. Yusuke's like, yo, cut this shit out. And he then snaps Kuwabara's arm while he's small, squeezes him some more, tosses him aside and reverses the incantation. So Kuwabara is a crumpled heap on the floor, completely and utterly beaten after that cocky attitude, which we see a lot. When Kuwabara loses, it's usually because he's too overconfident with his own physical ability rather than using his head and using his spiritual awareness. And I think that clashes a lot with his character development, and I think that's what makes him a better character overall by the end of the series because he starts to actually depend on his psychic powers more. But we see Kuwabara take a big L. And it makes sense because Shuren's the main threat of the arc. So now Yusuke's pissed. So Yusuke versus Shuren starts. And Yusuke's kind of walloping the kid. And then Shuren uses another technique where he's able to kind of like take pockets of wind and kind of like uh, vacuum seal, suck them out. So it's like air pressure pretty much that like is razor sharp. So Yusuke can't get near the guy because the wind keeps cutting him up, and it's painful. <laughs> like, So Yusuke musters up all the strength he can, rushes into the middle of that storm, gets cut up, and slams Shuren to the ground, and pretty much knocks Homeboy out. So it looks like the fight's over, and then Shuren reveals his true self as Rando. So now the real final fights begin begins. Yeah, I'm probably going to put Taruk in a stronghold next arc, because I don't know if I have enough time. This took a lot longer than I thought. But, uh, from here, we see, uh, the final, final battle, 
in which Yusuke is struggling on the <laughs> against Rando because Rando has too many ways of getting around Yusuke. First of all, Rando is a lot more powerful in his true form. He's a lot quicker, a lot stronger, a lot bigger. So he and he displays uh, some different techniques. He has like life force threads, which are kind of like primordial forms of a uh, spirit energy. Then he forms the threads together in kind of like these nasty, goopy, like, string things that wrap around Yusuke and tie him up. He then summons these things called Hatefish, which live in the depths of Spirit World, and they're kind of like giant piranha sharks on steroids, and they will gobble you up. He then has Yusuke hanging upside down from a tree from the Life Force threads over the pit where the Hatefish are, and he's like, I think I want to try a new technique I just learned. And he fires a spirit gun, but it's red because of the demon energy. And everyone is shook that he was able to observe that move one time, and now he knows it. So then he fires it again, because the first shot was just a testing shot, and he slightly misses. He fires it again, and it drops Yusuke into the water. So it looks like Yusuke's fucked. And then we see Kuwabara's, like, spirit manifest from his body and go into the water to talk to Yusuke. And Kuwabara's like, what, you just gonna quit now? Another thing with Kuwabara's spiritual awareness and psychic abilities, we see he can do things of that nature. We also kind of see him have some form of telepathy that we'll see later. But this is stuff that he's not doing on his own because, like I said, he doesn't rely a lot on his powers. So his powers kind of act accordingly. But he's like, yo, you just gonna quit now? Maybe they'll make me spirit detected since you're such a loser. And he's kind of like antagonizing Yusuke. And this pisses Yusuke off. And Yusuke's also recovered enough spirit energy from, you know, being in that area to power his way out of the pond, or the swamp, and he exits out of another swamp hole behind Rando, and shoots a spirit gun, and then Rando shoots his, and they clash. Yusuke's proves to have a lot more power to it, though, and he lands a shot on Rando. So Rando gets knocked back. He's he's actually injured from it and hurt, and Yusuke tries to go in for, you know, the finishing blows, and he's landing in on Rando, and nothing is happening, because Yusuke's spirit energy is kind of drained after that last spirit gun, and then Rando admits that he's weakened from the fight, too, and actually taking that spirit gun blast, so it looks like they might end up in a stalemate, so Yusuke's on the ground, <laughs> trying to get up and Rando's going to do the shrinking incantation on Yusuke to get the advantage and just be able to, you know, overpower Yusuke through sheer size. When Rando does the incantation, however, he instead shrinks. And it's confusing at first because Rando's like, yo, what the fuck? Why did I shrink? I chose him. And Genkai blames it on his lack of training of the techniques. He knows them, but he doesn't really know how to use them properly or knows all the the the, the effects and conditions of the moves. And Genkai explains that if the victim doesn't hear the incantation, then the incantation is just going to go on the closest person that can hear it, which was Rando himself. So everyone's like, well, how could Yusuke not hear it? He wasn't covering his ears. Another went through luck when Yusuke fell into the swamp. Swamp algae got in his ear, so he could hardly hear anything from that point, and he didn't hear the incantation, so it reversed on Rando. Yusuke gets to his feet, 
and Rando tries to run. Yusuke lets himself just fall over and drops an elbow on little Rando's back, completely taking him out. And Yusuke wins the Genkai tournament, also a crumbled mess on the floor. So we see that, and the arc ends essentially with Botan about to take Rando to Spirit World to be put into custody, uh, Genkai healing up Kuwabara's wounds, and Yusuke super excited to go to the wrestling match in Tokyo, <laughs> Tokyo Dome. Uh, Genkai's like, where the fuck do you think you're going? You won my tournament. You about to train with me for like the next six months. Yusuke's like, nope, I'm not doing that. And Botan's kind of just like, (laughs) just like, uh, yeah, you are. So again, even after Yusuke does what he's supposed to, he's forced into another thing by, uh, authority, which is something he hates. So Yusuke is then forced into Genkai's training. (laughs) So I think the cool part about it is like a lot of the time, like Yusuke really hates authority and is rebelling against authority. But once Yu Yu Hakusho starts and he goes on these cases, the authorities that be are actually kind of helping him and him rebelling against them actually kind of helps too. But training in their Genkai is probably like, the best thing for him and we don't know that yet not even genkai knows that yet and we won't know that until we get to to goro but yeah i don't even think we're gonna get to Tarukane stronghold this took a long time um <laughs> i might just save Tarukane stronghold for the first half of the dark tournament that might work out but uh we move on to the four saint beast and the four saint beasts i think are really straightforward so we might just uh, run through it real quick and see what happens. But uh, with the Four Saint Beast, the basis of this case is in a part of Neiman World, or a part of like uh, a city in within the spirit world called the uh, the City of Ghosts and Apparitions. There's a castle called Maze Castle. Within that castle are are trapped in there are four powerful demons uh, that other lower demons praise known as the Four Saint Beast. Now, the Four Saint Beast have gained control of something called the Makai Whistle. The Makai Whistle allows them to control these parasitic parasitic demon insects that will infect people in the living world. And what they do is, if you're infected, you kind of crave destruction, chaos, rage, evil things. And... Pretty much the four Saint beasts are threatening to use the Makai whistle to turn humanity into like these evil entities that will essentially destroy themselves. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, kind of real life. But, <laughs> but they say they won't do it if they're granted immediate access out of the castle and into the living world. So Koema's kind of stuck in a sticky situation because if they don't stop them from using the whistle, humanity is doomed and his dad's going to be pissed. And if they let the Four Saint Beast out into the, the living world, humanity's also kind of fucked. And again, Koema's dad will be pissed. So he has to send Yusuke out on the case. Meanwhile, Yusuke's just gotten back from his six month time, uh, six months of training. That's right. It skips six months. We get a time skip. He's back in town from Genkai's training. Uh, Keiko's super excited. Kuwabara's like, oh, yo, what's up? You're back. And he talks about the training you went through and how brutal it was how much of a nag Genkai was. And Kuwabara also expresses that in the last like months, he's been doing his own personal training, trying to more understand his powers. And, you know, they're just talking, hanging out. 
and they notice some thugs are following them. So they think of an excuse to ditch Keiko. At least they thought temporarily. And the thugs, you know, they look a little sick. They look a little pale. They pull out knives on Yusuke and Kuwabara. Yusuke's like, don't worry, I'll handle this. And he uses one of his newer techniques from Genkai's training called the shotgun. The shotgun is kind of like the spirit gun. Uh, but it seems to require less spirit energy than the spirit gun because he channels a mass of spirit energy in his fist and then swings to fire and it shoots a bunch of mini like spirit energy blasts and a spray in front of him like a shotgun. So he's able to take out all the thugs at once. Then we learn from Botan that, about the whole Force Saint Beast situation and Yusuke has to go down there and deal with it. He has to stop the Force Saint Beast and get the Makai Whistle to stop this from happening. Kuwabara volunteers to go because the city is in danger and he wants to help out. So they end up going in. They're just outside of May's castle and they get attacked by these little demons called the Fugaki who kind of like live outside of May's castle and they like hunger for human flesh. And they're not really strong, but they're so numerous. They look like they're about to swarm over Yusuke and Kuwabara and essentially kill them which would suck real early in, but they're saved by two floating lights that appear from the sky. And these lights manifest into people, which happen to be Hiei and Karama. The reason why Hiei and Karama are there, they were sent to help Yusuke and now Kuwabara as well, fight the demons of May's castle. And in exchange for that, they'll be full, their records will be fully uh, expunged from whatever crimes they did. <laughs> So, of course, they took the chance. Karama was already out, I think, on some kind of probation anyway, but he was 100% in custody. <laughs> so now they're all uh, an unlikely team. Kuwabara's friendly with them. He is like, don't get us wrong. All we require is me and Kurama. You guys just sit back. We don't need to babysit humans, which starts this unfriendly friendship with Kuwabara and Hiei eventually. <laughs> so they go into the castle, they go up to the castle entrance, their little motley crew, and they encounter the first trap. Uh, as they're walking through the main entrance, the ceiling suddenly falls down on them, and they're barely holding it up with all of their strengths combined, but the weight is slowly bearing down on them, and a little demon with an eyeball is talking about this is the gate of betrayal. And the gate essentially calculates the weight of the people that walk through and their power accordingly. So it puts weight about equal to what they can barely lift. And eventually they'll be crushed. But the reason why it's called the Gate of Betrayal is because one there's enough wiggle room for one person to try to run out and escape. But that would make that would definitely guarantee the other people getting crushed. So now this unlikely team is kind of like at odds with each other because they don't trust each other to be holding up the weight or one of them escaping. They see that the demon is by the lever, and Yusuke is like, Hiei, you're the fastest one here. I'll hold up your weight too as long as I can. Run over there. Turn this thing off. You can do it. So this is where we get like the first thing about Hiei's character, that he is a bad guy, but he does somewhat have like a code of honor, because he is out to get revenge on losing the Yusuke, but he wants a fair fight. He wants to beat Yusuke fair and square. So Yusuke's like, I trust you, Hiei. You wouldn't do something shady like that, which is kind of lightly retconning uh, Hiei's character because Hiei did take Keiko hostage <laughs> early in. 
But, anywho, he sprints forward and reaches the lever, and he hesitates at it. And the eyeball's kind of like, what have they ever done for you? You don't have to pull that lever and save them. Then let them get crushed. You can enter the castle. They'll they'll even let you join. My masters will even let you join their ranks. So everyone's kind of like, oh fuck, he is really is going to betray us. So he doesn't pull the lever, and he's like smirking about it. And then the demon's like, the boulder would have crushed you anyway, which was playing right into Hiei's trap. Hiei wanted to know if there were any traps connected to the lever before he pulled it. He then slashes the demon's eye, gets him out of the way and pulls the lever to stop the weight. The boulder then falls, trying to crush Hiei, and Hiei is able to avoid it. So, everyone's saved. And he lets the eye live, telling him to tell their masters that they're coming for them. So, the team is now past the first trap, and now we go from room to room, fighting the four saint beast. So, this arc is really straightforward. I think it just is a good arc that illustrates the early teamwork of the team. And, um... You also get to know each individual member through a fight they have. So the first fight is with uh, Karama versus, I th- believe it's Gimbu, right? Each of the four same beasts is named after one of those four in that... I forget what they're called in the Chinese mythology. So it's like Gimbu, Byaku, Seryu, and Suzaku. So Gimbu is like the giant like tortoise kind of creature... But in this, Gembu is the Saint Beast. He's like this giant, like, demonic thing. And he kind of looks like a turtle, like this long pointy tail. And he's completely made of stone. And the room they're fighting in is completely made of stone. Gembu's power allows him to move and merge freely with stone and control it at will. So he's actually able to talk to the inhabitants outside of Maze Castle, which they cannot leave from. So he uses that to get, you know, information to the other three Saint Beasts. So he's up first, and the first person fighting is Karama. So we get to get introduced to Karama's battle style and how Karama is during a fight and how cold and cruel he can be during a fight. So here's where we pretty much get the layout of the team. Karama is the smart guy. That's that's his role. He's the intelligent dude. He's the one in the back who's like, we got to strategize, we got to think of a plan. And he's the type of guy who doesn't like to go all in into a fight until he knows everything about his opponent. So the thing with Karama is he's a big risk, big reward fighter. He will take major injury in almost every major fight he gets into just to figure out the trick to his opponent's ability or fighting style. And then the thing about that is, though, after he takes that damage and figures it out, he kind of just majorly out-strategizes them and defeats them. And we get a clear-cut example of this with Gembu. And Hiei even goes to say that when it comes to a fight, Karama's definitely more ruthless in a fight than Hiei is, which is wild to think because you think Hiei would be the most savage member of the team. No, Karama is the most savage member of the team. Team, theme, theme. Which I kind of completely agree with because I think Karama has some of the coolest kills out of any member of the team. <laughs> especially with this one. So we see Gembu's fighting style. He's able to merge his body in with all the stone around them in the room, so he can pretty much attack from anywhere at any angle. So he dips his talent in the ground, tries to attack Karama. Uh, Karama's able to dodge, and we see Karama's main signature go-to technique, the Rose Whip. 
Um, he pulls a rose up from his hair and it, he kind of infuses it with, uh, his demon energy. I don't want to say spirit energy. It's pretty, it's demon energy. And he forms a whip out of it. So, uh, Genbu's not really impressed. He's like, it's just a little flower whip. What is it going to do? The rose whip is strong enough to cut through metal and stone. So Karama the, then does hit him with, uh, the, 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 Karama then hits him with, um, repeated lashes of the whip and splits Gembu into pieces. <laughs> so it looks like Karama has the victory until we find out Gembu can actually move his individual pieces at will and still ex- live and put himself back together. So from this attack, Karama takes major damage and he gets a deep wound in his stomach. So it looks like Karama might end up lose, might end up dying during this battle, but he notices something as the pieces are all flying around him. He sees a piece that's glowing red. And this is what I say when I mean Karama's a big risk, big reward fighter. He doesn't like to take big moves until he can figure out his enemy completely. And this is one of those times. This is one of those times. He attacks the pieces again, and they split smaller, and Genbu then again rushes him with all of them, and Karama does his best to defend and dodge, and as Genbu's laughing and talking his shit, he uh, reforms, but he reforms completely wrong, like his head is where, like, in, is between his legs, and Yusuke and Kuwabar are laughing hysterically at him, and Genbu's confused as to why this happened and why he can't reform normally. It's because Karama realized that glowing red piece was essentially like Genbu's core, like the part of him that functions to piece him together when he's separated. So when Karama took that part, Genbu formed back incorrectly. So Genbu's like, yo, wait, give that back. And Karama fucking coldly splits that thing in half and Genbu explodes into dust. And Karama gets our first victory of the arc. And... I thought it was such a cool moment because Karama didn't do much during the actual fight, but only because he didn't need to. He solved the issue without dragging out the battle, and that's how kind. That's just pretty much how Karama is during a fight. He uses his head in battle. He's like, play smarter, not harder, essentially. And Gembu is utterly defeated because he's an idiot with no sense of strategy. He had his gimmick stone-splitting thing, and that was it. So, Karama's injured now, and it doesn't look like he'll be fighting for the rest of this arc, even though, you know, he did his fair share. And Kuwabara's like, you know, I'll handle the next fight, and he's bragging. He's showing off that he's able to now utilize the Spirit Sword a little better, and he's actually able to extend the reach of the blade. He's essentially, well, now with the Spirit Sword, he doesn't need the blade tip to form it. He can form it at will, and he can extend the blade, like, if, if it was a spear. So Yusuke's like, oh, wow, cool. And, you know, he is still not impressed with him. He just thinks he's dead weight. And then we move on to the second fight, which is with the second Saint Beast, Byaku. Byaku is a, a giant tigerish demon representing the, the, the spirit on that. I forget what it's called, but he's Byaku, the, the tiger one. So they're outside in like a tower with a bridge, a little thin bridge to walk across, and Biako is waiting for them. He thinks they're all going to attack together, but Kuwabara is like, nope, this is my fight. 
So the first half of this fight is kind of like what I was saying with Kuwabara's character. He's focusing too much on brute force. He sees a large enemy. He's trying to act tough in front of the rest of the, the guys. And this kind of bites him in the ass at the start of the fight. Byaku is not afraid of Kuwabara at all and doesn't think it's worth his time to come down there and fight him. So he summons these demonic beasts kind of made of his hair. And Kuwabara brings out a spirit sword and he's fighting these four things. He's swinging his spirit sword around, but I think, uh, I believe he is like, he's swinging his sword with the grace of a fly swatter. He has like no tact for strategy and there's too many enemies to fight. So he's missing every shot. He's getting it attacked from four different angles. He's getting his body slashed up. It looks like Kuwabara has no chance at winning this fight. So everyone's kind of, you know, like, dude, you just need to come back. You tried. It's okay. Just take the loss and let someone else go in. Yusuke's like, I can use my shotgun to attack those things all at once. you got to use your head on this one, Kuwabara. You can't fight all four of these things when they're all around you like that. And this is one of the cool Kuwabara moments, personally, for me, because it's like Kuwabara's actually using his head this time around, and he's actually utilizing his abilities in the correct manner. He runs back down on that straight, narrow bridge, and the beasts follow him. Then he turns around. He's like, I'm not running away from the fight. The beasts are all lined up on the bridge in a straight line, and Kuwabara commands his spirit sword to grow longer, and it pierces through all four of them, thus shiskebobbing them all at once so Kuwabara didn't have to worry about them attacking from different angles. This is a perfect use of his energy manipulation. One of these things where it's just like, there you go, use your powers, you know, think, play smarter, not harder, just like Karama. Biako gets enraged, and the beasts start going red, and they're angry, and they start chasing him, even though they're stabbed, so Kuwabara runs back to where the, the rest of the team is, they move out of the way, and he's running around the little tower they tower top they came out of. He's, you know, joking. He's like, do you think he, he knows it goes in a circle? And as he's running around the tower, the sword kind of, like, wraps around the the pillar, like that top pillar, as the beasts are still chasing him, still shishkebobbed. And when Kuwabara reaches full circle to the other side, he wraps his sword, his spirit sword, together into, like, a ring. And the beasts are trapped around the tower, and they can't do anything because they're just pierced within it. And Kuwabara uh, calls this move the Spirit Sword Monster Beast Donut, which is a classic, classic, classic moment for Kuwabara. And I just really like that scene because it's like, it's so stupid how he was able to beat that, but it's like, you can't hate him for the way he did it because that's such a Kuwabara way to do it. And now Biaku's pissed, so he's like, all right, fuck it, I'm coming down there. So now Kuwabara is fighting Biaku one-on-one. Kuwabara is able to dodge Biako's attacks. He's strong, but not super fast. And Kuwabara looks like he's landing strikes on him, like he's slashing across him, he's stabbing him with his spirit sword. But Biako doesn't seem to be harmed at all, and Kuwabara looks like he's getting exhausted. And his spirit sword looks a lot smaller. Biako also has the ability to drain spirit energy. He's essentially eating Kuwabara's spirit energy every time he swings his sword. And Kuwabara keeps attacking straight on because he doesn't know what else to do. And they're like, yo, stop hitting him with the sword. And he's like, well, what what the fuck should I do? And Biako's growing bigger and fatter and more powerful. And Kuwabara's just running out of energy. So it looks like all hope is lost for Kuwabara here. He His one get-to move is not working. 
but Karamo's like, there is one way he could win if he can figure it out, but he ain't doubts he can. But then Kuwabara does kind of realize it. He sees Biako is kind of getting big, like, and he notices, he feels something wrong with Biako's spirit energy, like, it can't hold itself in place. So Kuwabara's like, all right, let me keep feeding this dude. And Kuwabara's energy is almost completely drained but Biako's body can't handle all the spirit energy he ate and he pops essentially. And it looks like Biako exploded and died due to him eating too much energy. So Kuwabara's energy is able to recover from that. And it looks like they're moving on. But as they go across into the next room, it's a giant pit of lava with pillars like on above that you can like jump from pillar to pillar across. And Biako actually lived and this is his true den. So he's like, the fight continues. And they're just like, Kuobara, you did a good job. And that first, he is like, you fought admirably. Let someone else handle this. Kuobara's like, nope, I got my honor code. I have to do this. And he is like, human, what an honor code. So the next battle continues. Kuobara has to try to jump pillar to pillar to get to Biako. But Biako's using his true signature technique, which is called the Tiger Scream. It's a mass, it's like, this weird form of spirit energy with his voice, but Kuwabara cannot touch that attack at all. He can't even hit it back with his spirit sword because the move breaks people down and objects down at a molecular level. So if Kuwabara was to hit it with the spirit sword, according to Kurama, it would cause a chain reaction that would destroy Kuwabara's spirit. So he cannot touch it. So now Kuwabara is running away from the blast, jumping from pillar to pillar as each pillar gets destroyed, landing in Biako's trap because now he can't reach any more pillars. So it looks like Kuwabara is doomed because there's there's no way out of the situation, and he's not smart enough to think a way out of this, think his way out of the situation. At least we think so. Kuwabara gets a clever idea. He tries to leap to Biako's pillar. Biako's like. Pfft, she'll never make that and it looks like Kuwabara is going to fall so everyone's freaking out Biako's laughing Kuwabara uses his spirit sword and extends it and uses it as a pole vault so he vaults himself into the air reaches Biako's pillar and punches Biako into the lava (laughs) so everyone's shocked because it looked like Kuwabara fell in too so it looks like both of them died but Kuwabara managed to hang on to the pillar just barely and he wins his fight and they're like, maybe we should let Kuwabara just use this strategy on the other two Saint Beasts. And Kuwabara's like, nah, fuck that. I did my fight. I'm done. So we move on to the third Saint Beast. This is another quick fight, and this is where we get a little more introduced and educated with Hiei's character and the slight retcon to Hiei's character because he was not meant to be a main character, but due to the popularity of him, I believe that's why they kept uh, Tagashi kept writing him in and why he became one of the crew. So in this fight, we reach the third Saint Beast, Seriu, the Blue Dragon. Now, Seriu is like this giant demonic-looking dude in, like, traditional kind of, like, this Chinese garb, and he has, like, this dragon decoration kind of around it, and Seriu uses ice abilities to uh, fight. He freezes people. So it looks like the next battle is about to begin, and Biaku busts through the door, and everyone's like, yo, what the fuck, this dude should be dead. But he manages to barely survive the lava, even though he was defeated. 
Oh, I also want to point in that they do use Kuwabara's spiritual awareness to get to this next room because it's a trap with like a bunch of doors and all but one of the doors leads to traps. So Kuwabara uses his spiritual awareness to choose the right door. So there's that too. So Kuwabara using his powers, super beneficial to the team. Kuwabara just trying to use brute strength, fucks himself over. And we see that loop a lot. And then until like, the later half of the dark tournament where we actually see him like trusting in his abilities a lot more. Um, but Byaku comes back. He's on the brink of death, begging Seiryu to help. He's like, these bastards trick me. They were hiding their true powers at the last moment. We can beat them together. Seiryu and Seiryu finds like his display of begging distasteful. And he freezes Byaku's salad and shatters him. So Biako dies, and we can see, like, a tear roll down Biako's eyes. And so he is like, all right, I got this one. Yusuke, you can take their leader. So he, we see a new side to Hiei. Hiei seems to have somewhat of an honor code personal to himself with complex rules, according to Kurama. But Hiei's like, it's not like, Kurama's like, it's not like we've seen Hiei not do cold stuff before. It's just like, Something about the way Seiryu took out his teammate begging for help, like, didn't sit right with Hiei. Hiei felt like that was really disrespectful. So, the fight's pretty fast due to just Hiei overwhelming Seiryu. It looks like Seiryu has the advantage at first, shooting Ice Blast to keep Hiei at a distance, and even freezing part of Hiei's uh, body, like his leg and his arm. But, as it looks like, uh, is about to throw the finishing blow. He jumps up and they clash. And Seiryu's like, how can you not be dead yet? I'll attack again. But Seiryu's split down the middle. And then he starts to show wounds all over his body. And he fucking explodes and dissipates. <laughs> so essentially, he was so fast that in the final clash, it didn't look like it. But he sliced uh, Seiryu 16 times. And they're all like, oh, I only managed to count this many. I only counted this many. And then is like, I barely saw the flashes. Like, he is a force to be reckoned with. And they're like, damn, he ain't good shit. And he, you know, does his he a thing. He is a very, like, kind of, like, calm, collected dude. Not calm, collected, but he's the quiet bad boy type, which is why, like, he's a big fan favorite. People like that dark edginess. He's a cool dude, though. But, uh... Karama's like, this is Hiei's way of actually kind of showing that he likes you guys, in a way. And they're like, oh, okay. So we, we get a taste of Karama's character. We see Hiei's uh, newer kind of retcon character. We see more of Kuabara pulling through in his own little way. So now we get to the final fight. And I should have enough time to do this, and like I said, I think I'll do Turukane's Stronghold with the first part of the Dark Tournament, which we'll do next month. Um... But we get to the last battle. It's Yusuke versus Suzaku. And I feel like this is a major point in the arc for Yusuke's growth. Because throughout the fight, we uh, get little glimpses of him training with Genkai. And we see Genkai telling him exactly the issue he has and what's limiting him. So we get to the battle with Suzaku. Suzaku is the represents, I believe, the, the phoenix. I think it is. Like the... I think that's the what Seiryu is. It's like a phoenix. 
So the fight begins, and Seryu has, or uh, not Seryu, Suzaku has the Makai whistle in one hand, and he's fighting, defending against Yusuke's blows with one hand. And Yusuke's like, oh, fuck, this guy's a big threat. Like, Suzaku is the leader of the Saint Beast, the most powerful Saint Beast. Meanwhile, on a big-ass television screen in the background, we see Keiko and Botan running from all the infected people in the city, trying to barely cling to life as Yusuke tries to get the whistle. So now the pressure's on, because not only does he have to beat Suzaku, or all of them are dead in that castle... Also, if he does not win in time, Keiko, his love interest, and Botan will be killed by the overwhelming swarm of infected humans. So he's definitely on a time limit. And his main goal isn't to essentially kill Suzaku. His main goal immediately is to try to take the whistle from Suzaku, which he struggles to do 100%. He fires a spirit gun. And Suzaku's actually surprised by it, but he manages to one-handed punch it out of the way. And he's like, damn, okay, that actually made my hand numb. And when he punches it out of the way, uh, a hole gets blasted into the ceiling of the castle. And also, due to Yusuke's training, he's actually able to fire more spirit gun blasts. I think I neglected to say that, but he he says that. He can fire now one for each finger, so he kind of has bullets stored. So I think he has four shots. I don't think he, he counts the thumbs. So I think he has four shots a day. Plus, he can use shotgun. And he also tries that, and that doesn't work out. So he can't land a decisive blow on Suzaku because Suzaku's a little too quick for him. And Suzaku's talking all this shit, and he then shows off his abilities. Suzaku has the ability to channel lightning. So as there's a hole in the ceiling, he calls upon the lightning, and he fuses it with his own energy to create some kind of lightning blast punch that grazes Yusuke and electrifies him. And it looks painful. It looks like Yusuke is about to bust out in a seizure. So, <laughs> Yusuke is like, I definitely can't be hit by that again or I'm fucked, but I have to find a way to hit him with my spirit gun. So he takes off his shoes, his rubber sole shoes, and puts them on his hands. And Suzaku and his little bird assistant are laughing like, you really think those rubber shoes are going to be able to withstand this much lightning? Please. You're about to die, and your little girlfriend's about to die. And Yusuke's like, don't count Keiko out. She's not a fighter, but she's tough. So at the same time that's happening in the fight, Keiko's swarming off the, the infected humans as best as she can, which is actually surprising to Suzaku. And as Suzaku moves in to strike Yusuke with another lightning blast point blank, the shoes dissolve, but it was a trick. Yusuke used it as a distraction to channel energy within his hands, so that he could try to attack Suzaku with them. So he's able to counter Suzaku's attack and try to land a blow. He tries to take the whistle, still doesn't work out. They kind of clash in a little bit of course, close quarters combat. And Suzaku's like, all right, all right. I underestimated you, honestly. Suzaku's slightly impressed, but he doesn't seem to be worried about losing the fight. And because of that, and that's because he shows off his true ability. Suzaku is able to create Clone, six clones of himself each one with equal power to himself as well and he calls it the prism of seven so now Yusuke has to fight seven Suzakus when he was barely able to fight off one and meanwhile Keiko's still struggling to defend herself on the monitor in the background which Yusuke can see so now Suzaku uses his most powerful technique where he channels lightning 
energy into like a form of a bow and shoots an arrow, but all seven Suzakos do it. And it's called the Prism Storm of Torment. So as these arrows fire, Yusuke's trying to dodge them all. He gets grazed by one. Grazed, not even hit completely. It like cuts by, past his shoulder and it completely electrifies him even worse than that first blast, the Storm of Torment blast initially. So now Yusuke's a crumpled heap on the floor and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes for broke and pours all his spirit energy into one giant shotgun blast and he manages to kill six out of the seven. The main Suzaku is on the floor hurt but not quite out yet and Yusuke is completely drained out of spirit energy and he's slowly crawling for the whistle to try to pick it up and Suzaku's little bird assistant runs over to get it and this is where Yusuke tries to play a bluff he's like I don't have enough spirit energy left to fight Suzaku one on one but I do have enough to fry a smart ass bird so it scares the bird because she doesn't know he's bluffing and as they're going with their little back and forth and Yusuke's trying to bluff her out of getting from grabbing the whistle, Suzaku has enough time to get up, pick up the whistle, and move kick Yusuke out of the way. And he calls Yusuke out for his bullshit. So then Suzaku shows another technique he can do where he can essentially recover spirit energy by absorbing the dead clones from the, pris- the prism of seven. So he heals his wounds then summons another Prism of Seven since he was fully healed. So now he has six fresh clones, and Yusuke's fresh out of spirit energy. The main Suzaku sits at his throne in front of the big monitor, waiting for Keiko and Botan to die. Yusuke's held up and slowly electrocuted just enough to stay conscious but be constantly in a flow of pain, and he's about to watch Keiko die. And this is where we see a major character growth point, I think, in Yusuke, because it flashes back to his training with Genkai. And Genkai's telling him, you always bail out of things when they look too hard. You don't want to do anything tough because you don't want to go through it. You're afraid it won't work out. You're afraid to fail. That's why you have that cocky-ass attitude. That's why you don't like doing hard things. You need to get in touch with your emotions, bite the bullet, and actually try to do something with all your heart and effort. He half you half ass he essentially half asses everything because he gets by on his cleverness and his luck. He's never actually really tried his best because he's afraid to try his best. He doesn't want to fail, so he always wants an easy way out. He always wants an easy strategy, a clever way out, or he always relies on his luck. So in that flashback, Genkai is essentially calling him out on that bullshit, and she's saying that's the reason why his power is so limited. That's the reason why he always ends up in these situations. So she's like, you need to give it your all. You need to not be afraid to fail, essentially. So Yusuke gives it his all. So during the peak of this fight, Suzaku's, you know, kind of like, this is why humans deserve to die. You're fucking useless. You're, like, worthless. Like, this and this and that. And Yusuke, fresh out of spirit energy, instead uses his life energy to power himself for one last blast which kills all seven Suzakus and blows up the entire, like, stage. Well, Suzaku tries to do another Prism Storm of Torment on Yusuke as well, but we find out that he his aim's off due to his one of his antenna being damaged. He has little antennas on his head, right? And they're dipped in, like, armor. 
and one of them is cracked. And the crack happened because from Yusuke's first initial blast that Suzaku managed to punch out of the way, it did damage his antenna. So the whole time, the reason why Yusuke's barely been grazed by the attacks, even though they were still causing major damage, is because Suzaku's aim was off. So it is a combination of luck and the combination of Yusuke's training and power that actually damaged Suzaku from the, the start. So this whole time, Suzaku's been halfway missing Yusuke, and Yusuke's been hitting him dead on. So during that final exchange, since Yusuke used, all his, used a bunch of his life energy to fight, he is able to overpower Suzaku and kill him. And Suzaku's kind of just like, yo, humans and their fucking... Like, Suzaku didn't like humans because he felt like, you know, they were weak, they're spoiled and entitled. That's why the Makai insects work so well on them. They're tainted by their own, like, deeper, darker sides and emotions. But Yusuke proves that, you know, those feelings can strengthen them. So by giving up his life to save Keiko's, he essentially was able to kill Suzaku. So Yusuke Kuwabara and Hiei arrive, you know, just to see that final collision. And Kurama's like, he might not make it because he used his life energy instead of his spirit energy. And this is, you know, the first point we see Yusuke actually go all in. Like, like before with Keiko with tossing the egg in to get his life back, he was already dead. So he was like, well, I have really nothing else to lose even though that was the chance to get his life back. Now with this, we see for the first time in a fight, Yusuke fighting for, like, more than himself, like, his own survival. Like, even when he fought Rando, it was because he was mad that Kuwabara got beat up. And he was fighting in an act of revenge, not in an act of protection, really. This time, he was like, I need to fight because they need me to fight. Like, my friends need me. So we see uh, Yusuke gaining power from getting over that wall he has in front of his emotions. So we see that, but it looks like he might not make it. And this is also when we see Kuwabara and Yusuke actually starting a real friendship. Because Kuwabara is like, I'll give him some of my energy so that he lives. And they're like, you shouldn't do that. You're weakened too. You could kill yourself. And Kuwabara is like, we came in this mess together and we're either both coming out or we're both dying. And Kuwabara manages, you know, to give him enough energy to keep him alive. And Kuwabara passes out. Kurama's like, damn, okay, these guys are a little wilder than I thought. And he's just like, see, we were just babysitting, you know. But that's the first case they do together as a team. And though it was rocky, we get to get introduced to those basic character elements. And we're going to see them grow past that as a result and we also see the sprout of what Yusuke's power, true powers can be and we see a lot more of like that emotional barrier break down during the dark tournament so that's pretty much it for like that first saga we get to real powerful character development during the whole dark tournament portion and onward this was very very laid out first season and But from that, we can still see early signs of, like, character points and what characters personally need to improve on and how they personally can get stronger. So I thought that was cool, especially since I don't think Tagashi was intending to expand off these points. I don't think he had this plan from the start. But I think a lot of the development that happens from the Dark Tournament 
is because he thought back to these moments and was like, I can expand on these character elements doing this, this, and this. So he took advantage of a good situation. And I think that's just like fantastic writing that he was able to do that. So um, we'll continue the, the Yu Yu Hakusho analysis next month. I got to rewatch the whole Dark Tournament section again. So next month, it'll probably be like the last two weeks of August. I'll do part one and then part two. So part one will start from Tarukane Stronghold and we'll go as far as we can into the Dark Tournament. And then hopefully with part two of the Dark Tournament, ideally with part two, I'd like it just to be the semifinal round, the in-between before the finals and the finals. Because there's a lot to go over, especially before the final round and during the final round, that I'd like to be more in its own podcast section rather than have a lot of tournament stuff. So hopefully next month when we go into it, we'll do Tarukane Stronghold really quick because that's a very transitional arc. Uh, We'll do quickly into their training process. Then we'll jump into the first round of the tournament, the second round, and the third round because... Especially the second round and the third round, those two kind of go back to back, so that'll that'll be helpful. And then, if we have time for the semifinals, we'll do the semifinals in that first part. But if not, then it'll probably be in part two. So ideally, next Yu Hakusho stream season two part one will be Tarugane Stronghold up until the third round of the Dark Tournament, and then part two will be the semifinals up until the finals. So that'll be next month. Um, Next week, I don't know what I'll be talking about, but we'll be back to normal, just like general topic discussions. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'll try to have a better script ready too. Um, It's hard to explain like those early meetings because like I said, I don't think Takashi had them planned, but I'm basing these viewpoints off of future growth. Like these are where those future growth sprouted from. And like I said, I think Takashi got those ideas from further points in the series, from these earlier points in the series, even though that wasn't his initial intention. So he managed to link them up in a smooth, transitional way. So we got Yusuke needing to get over his emotions, Kuwabara needing to get in touch with his powers. Uh, Karama and Hiei, we haven't gotten too deep into those motives yet, but we will see them in the Dark Tournament. And then we have Genkai, and we'll see a lot more of Genkai in the Dark Tournament mainly. So I hope you guys enjoyed this, and I hope you guys are excited for the season two analysis next month, but next week we'll be back on normal thing. Uh, go ahead and, you know, follow, give the podcast a like, listen to the other stuff and also follow, uh, my boys, Johnny and Joel on their podcast, cartoon, cartoon Fridays. Uh, I'll go ahead and link it in the description of this one. Cause they shouted me out in one of their podcasts from a few weeks back. So I will do the same for them. Uh, they do a lot of, uh, in general comic book stuff. They also do manga, and anime things and talk about creators of cartoons and other animations. So really interesting stuff. I more do like analysis of nerd culture. They go into like a lot of cartoon anime topical news. So they're, they're fun dudes. They're funny. So give them a listen and we're going to end it with the Yu Hakusho theme and end it out. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye.
Yeah.